0: What's up? It's Rob Cressy, founder of Bacon Sports, and joining me today is Jody Lowe, president and managing director of the Lowe Group. Jody, great to have you on the show.
1: It's really fun to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Can you give a quick overview on who you are and what you do?
1: You know, our firm is about 17 years old. We've focused on public relations and communications outreach for financial services companies. But as part of what we do, we spend a lot of time preparing people to talk to the media. We do media training and we spend a lot of time talking about message development and helping people get their message right when they're preparing to be on a podcast or do a broadcast interview or talk to the media. So uh, again, most of our clients are financial services companies. Uh, they're strategists, their are mutual fund portfolio managers that are talking about the stocks and bonds they invest in. But the messages are the same and the lessons are the same. And I think it applies to people in the sports industry and the entertainment industry and even in the consumer goods industry and politics. So uh, hopefully we can share some of the lessons that we've learned from working with our clients and they'll be relevant for your clients too.
0: Yeah, and there's two reasons why I wanted to jam with you. One, uh, Robin Gruen, who I had previously had on one of my podcasts, connected with, connected us, and Robin is awesome, so naturally I'm like, well, if Robin says I should be jamming with Jody, then I should. And then number two, you, you mentioned it. It's in terms of the, the lessons around marketing and media training that are homogenous irregardless of industry. So whether you're in sports, entertainment, finance, Uh, The way that we can communicate and market ourselves and think about messaging is relatively the same. And I even think about my own business. I like to say that 85% of what I do is the same no matter what type of client I'm dealing with. I'm just sprinkling on 15% of customization to help them deliver value for a specific demographic. But foundationally, you want the same mindset of being value driven. So for me, uh, one of my formulas is I like to inspire, educate, and entertain. Well, it doesn't matter what vertical you're in. If you do each of those three things, guess what? Chances are you're going to be able to deliver value for someone and also being very community driven. What does that mean? Including others in what you do, because so much of what we talk about now is engagement based because, uh, Actually, one of the things we are going to talk about, and we'll start about this, is marketing in the new normal. And you know what the old normal was? Buy what I'm selling, buy what I'm selling. They just jam it down your throat. You want awareness everywhere, and you hope that it works. But guess what? Social media marketing is based around engagement. You get more engagement, you get more organic reach. Therefore, if you hope to have better marketing, you better be good at engaging your audience.
1: For sure. Absolutely. And, you know, you, if anybody knows that, you know, how you engage those audience and the methods by which you do that have changed, right? Podcasting. We can't, I can't tell you how many of our clients are asking about podcasting. Five years ago, nobody was asking about it. Really, two years ago, nobody was asking about it. But it's a new way that you can reach out and engage directly, one-on-one with people. And more and more people are finding it's an excellent way to augment their marketing and communications. So one thing you do know is you, you create content. You create, you know, most marketers do things. They create a website. They create advertising uh, materials for their, for their clients. That's all owned content, content you control. But there's also earned content. And podcasts, in my mind, fall into that. It's somebody's invited you to be on a podcast or you're creating that and you're trying to earn somebody's uh, attention, right? And that earned Attention can come through a podcast, which is the latest and the greatest, and a lot of people really want to do it. But that earned attention can also come through an interview in a print publication or a magazine or a newspaper. It could come through a broadcast interview on the radio or on television. So earned is a little bit of a different type of way to get your brand out there, but it's just as important. People view it as a perceived endorsement. And so you want to spend some time preparing for and getting ready for those kinds of earned opportunities.
0: So there's a few things I wanna jam about with you regarding this. One, on the podcasting side, one thing that I have not understood. So I get hit up on a regular basis by companies that say, hey, I've got this person that I think would be a good fit on your podcast. Would you be interested in having them on? and assuming that um, there's some sort of uh, overlap between our audiences or what we want to talk about. Sure, I would love to. And inevitably, uh, once we're done recording, I'm like, oh, by the way, Jody, like, have you guys ever thought about creating a podcast on your own? And most often, the answer is no. And I've never understood why, if someone is doing the rounds on different podcasts, and you clearly believe in the podcast medium, why you would not create your own podcast – To, in theory, own the channel to be able to use it because uh, no different than a website or a newsletter. Podcasting can become your own marketing channel where you can now uh, bring people on your show. And it doesn't mean you have to stop going on everybody else's, it's actually an additive thing. So for me, I very much think in terms of growth. Why are we marketing? Because you want to grow. And for some reason, I'm seeing a disconnect. And and I don't know if you have any insight into sort of why that may be.
1: I think that's really interesting. And I think it's a, uh, let me break it down a little bit in terms of how we look at it. Creating your own podcast creates, goes back to this whole concept that I talked about, owned media. These are things that you're doing that reflect your messaging, your guests, you're controlling it, you're editing it nothing's going to show up on that podcast that you don't want to have on there. Right? So that's what I call owned media. And we've done a little bit of that ourselves. We created our own podcast to talk a little bit about the blogs and the advice that we're giving to our clients. It's another venue for our clients to listen to us uh, talking about the things that we think they should do. Um, Going on somebody else's podcast to me crosses over into earned, and the reason why you want to get on somebody else's podcast is again you're being invited. You can't really control the outcome. Somebody else is editing that, but that person in, in interviewing you takes on a whole new uh, momentous, right? They they're clearly choosing you as an expert to talk about your subject. Um, And depending on the podcast, some of those audiences are huge, right? Certain podcasts, um, you know, get thousands and thousands of downloads. If you're creating your own podcast, you got to think about marketing it and getting it out there and making sure it gets distributed to the various podcast um, platforms. That takes time. And building an audience of your own takes a lot of time, right? But if you uh, choose to go on somebody else's podcast and that podcast has a lot of uh, listeners, you immediately get a much broader audience for your messages. Again, but it's different. You don't control that. Somebody else is going to be editing it. Somebody else is asking you questions. And you have to be prepared to deliver those in a different way than if you're doing your own podcast and you control the outcome. So I actually view those as two separate things, right? Creating a podcast is a venue, a way to augment your message and reach your own audience in a way you control. Going on other people's podcast to me is public relations. It's getting somebody to invite you and to view you as an expert and for you to get your message out to them requires preparation and media training, no different than going on a TV show or being interviewed on a radio show or doing an interview with the Wall Street Journal. You need to prepare and think differently and you're not going to be able to control that outcome beyond the way you deliver
0: your message. I like the way that you framed that. So something stands out to me. It is, it takes time to build an audience. It is hard. A lot goes into it. So guess what that means? The barrier to entry, there's going to be a lot of companies out there that say, you know what, that's just too much for me. But guess what? That's actually where the opportunity is. Because as we look at what's happened during the pandemic, the companies now are forced to innovate. Who do you think would be in a better position to succeed? The company that started the podcast three years ago as an open channel of communications between their audience and ways to build new relationships, or the one who says right now, oh, wow, we need to try and figure out how to do this, and it's a slow thing. And I'm someone who very much has a long-term mindset in the way that I think about content creation and building relationships with my audience and others because I know it's a slow burn. It's not sexy and most people don't want to do it. But when looking at the current landscape right now, I believe that's exactly what you need to be investing in.
1: I think so too. And I think finding a partner with some experience in that environment makes a lot of sense, right? We've worked with a, a podcasting partner to help us create our own who had, you know, 11 years producing a podcast Uh, beforehand. He can do it quickly. The challenge we have and the challenge our clients have is that they are really, really strapped for time. There isn't the number of hours in the day to get on and produce a regular podcast. So how are they going to do it? So larger, say, registered investment advisor, financial advisory firms, or asset management firms, if they're going to create a podcast, generally they're going to feature different people on that podcast. So no one person has to do it every week. And they're going to look to someone like you um, or, you know, somebody like our partner um, who has some experience and can quickly create that podcast content content in a way that is professional and reflects how they want to present themselves. So, you know, again, finding the partner that understands who you are, what the feel needs to be, what kind of professionalism you want to have, or what kind of tone or, or um, you know, culture or feeling of your podcast, um, and then somebody who can do the work to get it done. Because a lot of people on a day-to-day basis simply aren't going to have the time to do this themselves. And they're going to need to work with a partner who's, who's got the experience
0: to do it. And I absolutely love that you led me into that because guess what the number one excuse I get for why we do not create a podcast, Rob, we do not have the time. So there's a few different things with this. If something is important enough, you will find time for it. So that's the number one is if we're going to audit our time, all right, how much are people actually doing the things that they want to do? Or are they really just making an excuse to say, you know what? I'm kind of comfortable with where I am right now. I do have a lot going on, but guess what? There is always time because if Mark Cuban and Michelle Obama can do a podcast, guess what? Right. So, can, uh, so can other companies <laughs> because okay. everybody else is unique in the fact that like, we're the only ones who have too much going on. So you say, and you even address this. All right. If we don't have a lot of time, well, you know what's really important? The process. So I don't know what I'm doing about podcasting. Cool. Go and find someone who can help you do it. Because guess what? I hosted a a five-day-a-week podcast in an hour and a half. You know how I did that? We made episodes seven to 12 minutes each. We recorded them all at once. Boom. Then you send it over to a production team and it's done. So if you have the blueprint for success and then – You have a team go and do it for you. So now it becomes you need the resources or budget for it. But Rob, we don't have the resources and budget. Cool. Well, you can either do it yourself or you can bring someone on who who has that expertise to help you accelerate that. Because I think oftentimes the ideal scenario for a company, I don't expect you to be an expert at podcasting because you do something else. That's why people like me exist. But guess what? I would love to get to the point where all you have to do is show up to the microphone one hour a week or maybe one hour a month and then let somebody else take care of it and put that into that marketing process. And I think that's the thing that is missed most often is everyone likes to give the excuses for why this cannot happen instead of seeing, wait a second, what if there was an easy way where all you had to do was be great at what you do, put the microphone, turn that bad boy on record, and then let the engine take care of the rest?
1: Well, I really like what you're saying there too. And, and again, I I'd look to you because you've really got a ton of experience here. But this whole thing to me, what I've said to clients, uh, you know, if you're creating your own podcast is that it can't be all over the map, right? You can't have one episode that's going to be an hour and a half long and one that's 12. You need to have a process that's consistent because your listeners need to know what to expect and you've got to engage them, right? And so you incorporate, you know, some music, and you incorporate some other elements, so that people are, you know, get receive the trigger, so that they know what they're going to hear, and they're going to keep coming back because they get something valuable out of that. And I think that that process feeds into that, don't you? I mean, tell me a little bit about that piece of it, because if it's all over the map, and if somebody, you know, one time tunes in and it's a forty-minute podcast, and the next time it's twelve minutes they don't really know what to
0: expect. There should be some consistency to it. So, well, one, the word consistency is extremely important. The more you show up consistently like anything else, when Game of Thrones comes on every Sunday night, people are ready for Game of Thrones. So the same goes through with the consumption habits because people who listen to podcasts, myself included, were very habitual. I'm always listening and listening. So you don't just listen to one. You're most often listening to 10 different ones. Yeah. Um. so with it you've got the element of consistency but then I've actually evolved from this because when you first start out you think all the eyes are on you and we need this perfect and pristine thing and I'm over 600 episodes in and for wow. me it is more about the execution of and my ability to deliver something of value so while I would agree at the start of things I wouldn't say, hey, Jody, we should go and create one episode that is 12 minutes and one that's 50 and one that's 100. Uh, There's a quote that I love. Happiness is a function of expectations. So you know what? How about on one of your podcasts, you say, here's the deal. We're going to have a few different types of formats for you. Sometimes I'm going to jump on and just give you a two-minute nugget of inspiration. I'm going to say, you know what? Today's going to be a great day. And you know what? I'm also going to have awesome thought leaders like Jody Lowe on the show. And you know what? We might jam for 30 minutes or so, and those are going to be a little bit more in-depth. And sometimes I might even teach something and just go by myself, and I might go on a 50-minute rant. But guess what? You know I'm going to inspire, educate, or entertain you. And at the end of the day, I want to help make you smarter and better and forward thinking in what you're doing. And by doing so, what you do is you set the ground rules of how things go. Because so often in the beginning of the game that we're playing of podcasting in the relationship, we don't let the other people, the listeners know, hey, what is this game? But certainly as I've evolved as a podcaster, I now I'm all over the board in a good way. Because I like to think about, all right, when can I deliver value? How are the ways that I can multi-purpose things? So um, you can take a, a YouTube video that you might do and rip the audio from it and say, hey, guys, by the way, uh, I just did a webinar on how to easily launch a podcast. I wanted to share this with you because it's new value. So now start to think about podcasting as the medium that you're now engaging an audio audience. So now it's a different way of saying, all right, our video content lives here, our audio lives here, and there's a few different ways to deliver value, but let's make sure that uh, we prime it um, in a certain way. Does that make sense?
1: It does. And we, we talk a lot to our clients about, you know, if there's something you're trying to communicate or a message you're trying to get out, you want to think of multiple ways you can get that out. And there's, you know, there's video, there's thought leadership content, there's broadcast, PR, all those different things are, you know, there's multiple ways to distribute that message and repurposing and doing it in different ways is exactly right. I I 100% agree with you. I also think one of the things you said made me think about, you know, having multiple formats thinking, you know, you you want to think about the audience you want to reach ultimately as as a marketer, right? And podcasts allow you, if you produce it yourself, to reach different audiences. But even within those who are consuming podcasts, depending on the day, time they have, you know, what they're interested in, they may engage with some of your content and not engage with all of it. And you want to have something that's going to reach different audience members, because not everybody's the same. So I like what you're saying about how sometimes you have thought leaders, and sometimes you may just have an inspirational idea, and sometimes you're going to riff on an educational topic and go on for 50 minutes. And depending on the person who's listening and their schedule and time, they may pick and choose different pieces of your podcast that fit what they need at the time. But you've got to feed, you know, serve up different things to different audiences, uh, because not everybody's the same
0: yeah, 100 percent. and I think about something I listened to the Tim Ferriss podcast, and Tim Ferriss podcasts can be that like one. two hours long, like super long stuff. but he said something that I've really enjoyed. He goes, "You know what? Any given episode may only be relevant to 20 percent of my audience, because he goes from anything from high performance to keto diets to yeah. psychedel- like to all over the place, and if you were to yeah, say that, you're like, wow.
1: of uh, high performers, right? And
0: it, exactly. So yeah. knowing that, remember. Everything doesn't have to be 100 all of the different time because at the end of the day, you end up forming a relationship with the host of a podcast. So that's what you like about Tim Ferriss. And then the other thing I would say in terms of the engagement piece is always remember there is a silent majority in a vocal minority. And it's something that's extremely important for content creators to understand because chances are your downloads are going to be very little and no one's going to say anything to you. But guess what? Welcome to the world of content creation, because by design, people don't always sit there and engage with what you're doing, which is why you always have to have an element of engagement or call to action in everything that you do, because the only way someone will ever respond back to you is if you do ask the question. So one of the things that I always train in in when I'm helping companies create podcasts or video shows is on the call to action. Every single time, even if 100 straight episodes, no one has responded back to you. Guess what, 101, you're asking another question because eventually someone will. And you'll say, thank you very much. Let's keep it going because you're not going to get these troves of people all of the time because so often the person who does engage with you, guess what? That is the exact person that you are reaching. So, so often you want to focus on the micro. Who are the few people that become almost the diehard of the fanatical people or that you really touch in a specific episode that causes them to take action?
1: Right, for sure, yeah, but and you know again, i I agreed about the call to action or some way that people can engage with you, whether sending them to your website or sending them to social or asking them to post a review, things like that are good for engagement, but I would also say when I'm talking to clients about preparing to be on a podcast like yours or another podcast that might be going on, they really should think carefully about their message in advance, right? If I'm going to do this podcast, I wanna make sure that I touch on two or three topics and what are those topics gonna be, right? That is what we call a message triangle. And it's sort of the secret sauce, I think, in terms of how we talk with our clients, because it can be the core message of how you're gonna communicate in everything you do, and it could be how you communicate in life, how you communicate with your spouse, thinking in advance and preparing for, you know, if I'm going to leave behind two, three thoughts, what are those thoughts going to be? And how am I going to make those thoughts memorable? How am I going to break through the surface and and cause somebody to really nod their head and think, yeah, that guy's talking to me or that woman's, you know, really sharing something that I've been thinking about, right? What are those salient messages? So, you know, we work a lot with our clients and we put a lot of time into this, you know, honing that message, getting it right, making sure it, it you know, Reflects who you are in a genuine way, um, and and again, is it boring or meaningless or yada yada yada? But actually, something that your potential clients are thinking about. So you know you should really you know not only call your listeners to action, but really be thinking about what is it that you do, and what do you want to have them remember you for, right? So that you leave behind a thought or an impression that stays with them. Now, doing that just once doesn't always work. You've got to repeat yourself, not only in you know, over and over again in an interview, but over time in all of your conversations with clients, in your thought leadership, in you know, social, those core messages that resonate need to be brought up again and again. And a podcast is no different. You should sound a little bit like you're repeating yourself if you're true to your brand and true to your core of what you do. Uh, I, I trained a woman, and I love this message, but she, she was so focused and dedicated to her craft. She said one time in an interview, hit the pause button if I sound like I'm repeating it myself, because she really was so disciplined at coming back to her core beliefs over and over and over again. And she's been tremendously effective, and people know exactly what she's about because she's disciplined
0: and in, in, in talking about herself
1: in ways that reflect her brand.
0: So-, so you just mentioned so many good little nuggets that I want to dive deeper into. And we can even get tactical on some of these things because sure. you are so correct. So I'll think about early on in my entrepreneurial journey that uh, I was part of a business accelerator that was going to help me grow my business. And you know what one of the things they taught me was? was the elevator pitch. You know how they did that? Every single time someone new walked into the room, they said, Rob, pitch your company to them, and you had 30 seconds to it. And why was that? Because you nailed that. It is the repetition. Because so often when people come onto the podcast, whether it's on the call to action side where people fumble over it or, hey, tell me about what you do, Oh, blah, blah, blah. You want to have this element of confidence that you have done this a million times because confidence and energy are transferable. So if you hear someone who's like, boom, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. So it is so important for you to get good in your pitch. So now let's get tactical.
1: I think so, too, and and, and what what we're talking about here, this, what we use, you know, again, we call it a message triangle. It's slightly different from an elevator pitch. An elevator pitch really truly is that 20 second, 30 second, here's who we are. This is what our business does. This is why you should buy our product you know, most people that are doing public relations are being interviewed, say, by the Wall Street Journal on a topic, right? They're gonna be interviewed about sort of the outlook for interest rates or, or you know, what the stock market correction means. And, you know, in doing that interview, you have an opportunity to bring up some of the things about what you do and how you do it, but you can't just sort of segue from a question about, what are interest rates going to do? And say your elevator pitch because it's just going to sound phony. It's going to be like the Sunday morning TV politicos that never answer the question and just you know give their uh, their political message without um, you know uh, engaging with the the questioner. A truly good interviewer controls the interview by answering the question and bridging to a message or two that reinforces the two or three things that are differentiating about them. And that's why you have to sort of really prepare in advance. The message triangle is sort of the three broad ideas that you want to talk about, but then you need to think about different ways to say that, um, you know, using different sound bites or turns of phrases or analogies or stories that reinforce the point, because you're going to be coming back to this again and again, and you don't want to sound like a broken record. You need to say it in slightly different ways. So it's really the people who are really good at this, take a question, that they're given, they answer the question and are able to weave in the core differentiating concepts about who they are and how they do things in a way that is memorable and keeps people, you know, coming back to them. So that's, that's, that's the, 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 I think you're, you're right, absolutely about confidence. Um, you know, if the more you do this, the better you can get at it. Um, and the, the better you are at sort of thinking about about your message in a way that answers the question.
0: So here's a simple four steps that you can do. Step number one, you have to be intentional about this. It's not going to happen if you're not intentional. Absolutely. Number number two, you want to have a strategy for this. So you're like, all right, what am I going to do? So how do you create a strategy? Number three, you write it down. When you write it down and get it out of your head, because so often people are just going to rely on it. Remember, repetition and confidence. You can read the same thing over and over and over again. And then number four, one of the things that I absolutely love that you said, you said stories that reinforce the point. Here's what I want you to do. Go ahead and start with one. Write down one story, and you don't need to write the entire story. Just write the headline of what that story is and how it might relate to something. Because guess what? When you're intentional and you have a strategy and you write it down and you've got a story or stories that relate to all of this, Boom, that is what is repeatable.
1: Absolutely. We've said to people in our media training, you know, if you you could only get one or two quotes in the story, what do you want those to be, right? And I think so often people prepare for interviews by writing down everything they know. Now, the point is is that, you know, points one, two, and three are far more important than points eight, nine, and 10. And if you are unintentional and you just, you know, made an exhaustive list of everything you know, that reporter will, uh, or podcast host will guide you down whatever they wanna talk about. And if you are intentional about it, you really try to keep your focus on just the two or three most important things and keep coming back to them so that you are sure to talk about the things that you think are important to talk about and spend less time on the things that are less important that you really don't care to be quoted about. So that's, that's the key part about the message triangle. I also think writing it down is really important. I'm glad you stress that. Um, you know, people need to be able to think and remember what they want to say when they're under pressure. And you know, often when those lights come on and you're on a broadcast interview, it's really hard to remember. And so if you've written it down, even if you don't have that message triangle in, tr- in front of you, it's a, a visual device that helps you to remember it, right? But if you are doing a phone interview or, or you know, doing a podcast interview over um, a screen or on a phone, you can have that message triangle right in front of you and you can remind yourself of the things that you wanted to bring up beforehand because you might not remember them in the moment because you're a little bit nervous, right? And you're on the spot. So the message triangle is a super tool to help you make sure you're, uh, like you said, intentional about getting those points across.
0: Over the course of 600 podcasts, do you know how many episode scripts I've written? 600. Because exactly what you say. I want to have a bullet point of where I want to go with said conversation. It doesn't mean we're going to get to all of those different things. Chances are it doesn't. Things spiderweb. But guess what? I am prepared for every single podcast that I do. And the way that I do it is by writing it down. So now let's talk about the last thing we're going to jam about tips for doing an interview on video or for a podcast. And one of the things I think is actually related to what we just talked about in terms of um, the media is I have a background in improv and comedy writing from Second City in Chicago. And one thing that is a hallmark to me as a guest on podcasts and as well as a host is a phrase that's yes and – And what does that mean? It means that I build upon others' ideas. And this is so, so, so important when you are a guest on someone's show because they're going to ask you a question and you may have things that you want to actually get to. But what you want to do is be someone who builds on top of ideas. Jody, that's a great idea. I love this. And this. And this is actually something that is a mindset that permeates me in all areas of my life. But if the only thing you get from this conversation is yes and, if you can yes and everything on interviews or podcasts, obviously within reason because we understand some business things aren't always puppy dogs and rainbows. But it's more of a philosophy: is you are someone. We're a team, Jody. You and I on this podcast. Yeah. So When we show up, um, what it really comes from is when you're doing improv. Uh, you're standing on the stage with one person or three other people, and you might go. All right, give us a food, and someone goes watermelon, and I'm like, oh my God, this watermelon's so big. And you roll over with something that looks like a wheelbarrow. I'm like, Jody, thank you for that wheelbarrow. Boom, I'm yes anding you. But the worst thing that can happen is I've got this giant watermelon. I'm like, someone give me something for this watermelon. And you're like, that's not a watermelon, dummy. Boom. It it kills the scene.
1: <laughs> right. The
0: exact same mindset goes true when you're on a video interview or a podcast. Let's yes and things.
1: I love that. I love, I've i never thought about it as yes and but I think that's actually directly related to what we talk to people about in media training that you know you are in a conversation with this reporter and you've got to answer their questions and you've got to build to what you want to say. So often you know a reporter will ask a question and you can say that's a really great question. I'm going to answer that question and the other important thing about that same topic is my message right so you're answering the question you're engaging and you're figuring out a way to connect what that question is to what you want to talk about but you don't just sort of do that in a vacuum you have to connect them you have to have that bridge that brings them together and you know again you're both part of the conversation. It cannot be self-serving. And let me tell you, we talk with a lot of really experienced journalists. And when we set up interviews for our clients, we need to remind them that the journalist's job is to tell a story for their readers. It's their story. Their job is not to sell your product, right? So the only way you're going to be effective in an interview is you are engaging that reporter, helping them tell the story and figuring out a way how you and your company and your brand fits into that story, right? It's a story that has to be told. Again, they're not going to just tell your story and, and write your news release for you, uh, especially sophisticated journalists. So the people who do this best understand the purpose of the story and they figure out how they're going to be part of it. It's a two-way street. It's not just um, it's not just you telling your story. So I, I love that. Yes, Sam. That's such a terrific way
0: to come at it. And this podcast you and I are doing is the perfect example because we each have companies that deal in some form of marketing or PR or content or things like this where we are helping others. And you very easily could have just come on and said, This is what we do, blah, 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 and just jam this down our throats. But instead, We can have a forward-thinking conversation on how we can help other people with the knowledge that we have that says, listen, if you want to be good on video or create a podcast or pitch your business, here's some tips for how you can do it. And it's a very subtle difference because some people are going to pitch, but we're going to share value and say, here's how you can do this. And in the process, all of a sudden, people are like, well, we now know that Jody is an expert at what she does because she just gave us all this wonderful information.
1: Well, can can we talk a little bit too about sort of we're sharing information, but we're really sharing information at an interesting time with the pandemic going on, right? That's created so many opportunities for people to you know get in front of people on Zoom calls or Skype interviews and many of our clients you know they you know they may not be based in New York City so being live on CNBC is not you know, possible every day of the week, but it's been a leveling of the playing field in the sense that anybody now can be a subject matter matter expert and be featured in a Zoom call or in a Skype interview. But we're also dealing with our own personal technology. We don't have the technicians in the studio telling us how to look or where to look or how to light or putting makeup on our face to make us look really polished for a broadcast interview, you're doing that yourself. You're your own producer, right? So how do you put your best message forward in pandemic communications? And, you know, I'm looking at you, Rob, you've got a great backdrop and, you know, um, a lot of energy sitting in front of your microphone. I'm sure you've given some thought to how you look, but you really should spend some time thinking about that before you go ahead and do um, a Zoom interview, right?
0: Oh my goodness. It's, I actually, created a video on is their top five or top tips top 10 tips for being on a podcast or a video and you know why because the, the number of ceos i had in interviews who showed up and their lighting was terrible their video was terrible Uh, Their clothing was terrible. They showed up late. They didn't know their call to action. Their pitch wasn't good. They didn't play this back and forth volley game. And I was like, I can't believe you run a multi-million dollar company and you don't understand that everything you do is a reflection of your brand. And it is something that I I learned so early. So it's two things. Everything you do is a reflection of your brand. And number two, everything you do is an opportunity to create a positive brand interaction. So with what you look at, with what you sound, how your, what your background looks like. Because so often I would look in videos. I'm always attention to detail oriented and I would look and it looks like they're like a motel six, like bathroom or like the background. I'm like, (laughs) what in the world are you doing? Like, is that how you would represent your brand? I don't get it.
1: I think people take it too casually and they should, you know, before this happened and people were doing, you know, Zoom interviews, I said, if you're going to show up on TV, you know, you really don't, you know, you don't want to show up without thinking about how you look. You want to have a certain shirt on and you want to have, because a lot of people could see this and you don't want your appearance to inadvertently take away from what you say. Um, But a couple of things, my my colleague, Greg Jocelyn, has written about this um, and he actually has a a blog about preparing for the big Zoom or Skype interview. And I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is just simply lighting, right? The light should be coming at your face, not behind your back. So if you're sitting in front of a window with a window behind you, gosh, that's a great place to work. It's not a great place for an interview because you're just going to look dark. Um, and the light is what's going to be appearing on the screen, not, not your face. So you want to have the light coming at you, uh, in front of you. And you might even want to improve that light by um, putting a white surface underneath your computer, maybe adding a light in front of you that shines on your face so that you look bright and you, you know you're sort of recreating the experience of an actual studio. Um, so the lighting is really important. We always encourage people too, to um, think about what's behind them, right? If you've got um, a shelf, uh, Maybe you can strategically put some of your brand uh, information. We had a gentleman who did an interview, um, and he was a, a chief investment officer of a major financial firm. He not only had some branded elements from his firm, he had a CFA certificate on the wall behind him, so you could see the credibility of who he was right there. It was a terrific thing to have. And maybe, you know, if you've got some book about you know, foot fungus on your bookshelf. You don't want to become the meme <laughs> that, that, you know, somebody zeroes in on the screen and pulls that out. So think carefully about what's behind you and have somebody take a look at it. Um, do a trial run, right? If you've got to use a new technology uh, schedule a trial for an hour beforehand, see how you're gonna look, have a technician in the room to make sure uh, everything's working smoothly, and to give you a little bit of feedback. Say, hey, you know, maybe that shirt is a little too dark. Can you, you know, put a, a different shirt on? Or, or maybe you need to sit up a little bit. Why don't we put your computer up so you're looking straight at it, not down? Uh, you know, try to actually take a look at what you're gonna look, at, look like on the screen so that you aren't you know, somehow distracting in that interview um and then you know another another thing you know i watch you rob i've i've seen some of your uh podcast interviews you've got a lot of high energy you you know, you look positive. You've got a slight smile on your face at all times, right? You should think that way. People are looking at you, you want to come into an interview with some energy and, you know, a positive demeanor. Um, our faces tend on screens to look a little bit frowny, right, you, you, your mouth naturally goes down. So you want to think in terms of uh, keeping a, smi- a, a neutral to slightly uh, friendly look on your face. Um, And then I think the last piece of advice I give to people when they're doing interviews during the pandemic from a home uh, office or from a Zoom hookup is to relax and have fun. Um, You know, if the dog runs through the picture or a child interrupts, relax and go with it. It could be a bright light in somebody's, you know, one of the listeners' uh, day to see that. And don't feel like you've messed up. If you stumble over your words, just go back and repeat yourself and do it again. Um, if you're relaxed and you go with the flow, um, it'll work just fine. And I think most people, you know, expect that you don't have to be perfectly polished, be a human and, um, go with the roll with it when things don't go exactly right. Um, and just get back to work but it is you're trying to do if you hit a a fork in the road or a technical issue, Um, people are patient. They understand that we're in a pandemic now and things are different. And so you have some greater latitude to present yourself and fix things if it doesn't go exactly perfectly. So those are some of the tips that we've given. Are there other things that you think people should be doing beyond that, that, uh, that can help them put their best face forward in an interview?
0: uh number one show up on time and or early uh that i mean that's a no-brainer it goes without saying but yeah. guess what there's a reason why i have to say that uh two i love what you just said about the relax and have fun and there's two reasons for that number one It's relatability. It's actually one of the things that I believe I am best at. I'm extremely relatable because I'm conversational in how I do things. And you then said don't have to be perfectly polished. You know what? I actually prefer not perfectly polished because we're going from a world of studio where suits and big cameras and all this expensive studio equipment and that's almost overly produced it's not as relatable but now when you get to see someone's backdrop and you're like wow there's a baseball or there's a book that i read you can all of a sudden be a little bit more relatable but guess what when you and i have a conversation it's not perfect sometimes i'm gonna stutter over my words or say um or something like this that's okay because perfection is the enemy of greatness so yeah. I don't expect you to be perfect. And so often the mindset of going in, I've never done this before. Oh my God, everybody's watching. I have to be perfect. No, give me the complete opposite. I actually prefer unperfect content because when we screw up, guess what? Everybody screws up and it's more relatable. And I get it. If you're on TV on this major thing, but guess what? If your kid comes or your dog comes that actually might be the most attention-grabbing thing that happens in your entire interview. Even though you might not want that, people may see that a little bit more because of it.
1: Well, and I find it it gives the host an opportunity to engage a little bit too with the guest. I can't tell you the number of of, of sort of warm conversations I've heard on podcasts when a dog barks in the background. And, you know, there's this sort of human element that gets entered into the equation that wasn't there before and people really like that and it makes it memorable so you know don't don't get nervous about that embrace it and just roll with it i think that's that's always good advice
0: so jody i had a blast jamming with you and i have to recognize you for something because you and i up until starting this podcast had never spoken before in our lives yet here we are 40 plus minutes into this episode. And I feel like you and I could just continue to jam all day, do do de- delivering so much yeah. value. And let that be a testament to how things can go. Here's two people who have never met before, but we say, All right, let's have a conversation from someone that we both know and we're value driven in all this. And I feel good because. I know that what we talked about are legitimate things that if someone wants to get into media or podcasting or be more on Zoom videos, you could literally go back and take notes from all of this. And this is a masterclass on how to be better on camera and media, and these are the exact things that both Jody and myself teach and train our clients on. So thank you very much for showing up and being awesome, Jody.
1: Well, and I thank you too. I just, I feel like not only did I have a lot of fun doing this today, Rob, but the other thing is I walked away learning something from you. Uh, You know, you've got this specialty and you've done 600 of these. I haven't done that many podcasts, but I've spent time working with people, preparing them to be on the media. We both came from different perspectives, but my clients want more of what you're doing. And I learned a ton from you too. So thanks for teaching me. So
0: you're welcome. Jody, where can everybody connect with you?
1: Uh, you can find me at www.locom.com And I did mention a blog by my colleague, Greg Joslin, um, that you can read that talks about preparing for interviews. It's, it's at our blog page, The Lowdown. So you can visit us there too and, and get some more tips.
0: And as always, I would love to hear from you about this episode. There are so many things that we could unpack, but here's what I'm curious about. Have you ever been on a Zoom video podcast or interview before? If so, tell us about that experience. What were the things that you're feeling? What could you do better? And is there anything on our end that we might be able to help you with? Do you have that burning question that's like, Rob and Jody, I just don't know about X, Y, and Z. We would love to help you out. You can hit me up on all social media platforms at Rob Cressy. I'll make sure to share anything good that gets sent in. Maybe that was money. Tell me that wasn't money.